0: Well, good morning, church. These microphones work really well when you turn the rascals on. Technology is, is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Man, it's good to see you. Oh, good to see you too, Joe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sooner or later, I'm gonna get that response. Sooner or later, yeah. I'm really glad that you're here this morning. the The, the Lord is on the throne. Amen. And I know that there, there are things in our world that seem like they're out of control, and in, in our power they are, but not in the power of God. He is still in control. He is still in charge. His plan is the only plan. And we can rejoice in that, and have faith in that, and courage in that, and we need to be settled in that. But I going to tell you, sometimes it's hard to stay settled in it, because so much stuff is coming at us right now. But you know, um, it's important that we just pause. Man, I'm glad you came today just to do that. I'm glad you came today to fellowship. I'm glad you came today to sing and to worship. I'm glad you came today to be in the Word and and to to get to Sunday school and get some more Word in you. Man, I'm glad for all of those things because all of those things make us stronger. Nick said earlier, we are better together. When we gather together, we are better. We're stronger. We're more energized. And ready to face whatever the world tries to throw our direction. This morning, I want to share with you uh, a, 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 an unusual story that's found in the book of Joshua. Now, for whatever reason, Joshua was one of my favorites, uh, and I, I'm not quite sure why, but but he is. And the story of Joshua is one of those stories that I keep coming back to. But there's a story in Joshua chapter five, just kind of stuck in the middle of the grand narrative of the book of Joshua, and if you're not careful, you'll just read right past it. And one of the reasons we we tend to read right past it is it's a little bit weird. It's something that we were not anticipating, and we're not quite sure what to do with, so we just kind of skate right over it and get onto something else that kind of fits our scheme, Right? Joshua chapter 5, where we're going to find it this morning toward the toward the end of the chapter down around verse 13 through 15. And for those of you that are not quite sure where Joshua is, don't worry about that. Your Bible has a table of contents page with a page number. You can find it that way. Or... Uh, Just start at the beginning in the book of Genesis and move forward. Um, uh, I think Joshua's going to be like the sixth book of the Old Testament. So you'll find it, and I want you to. I want you to be able not just to hear what I have to say about this passage of Scripture, but I want you to read it for yourself. Because it may very well be that as you read it for yourself, God will have something for you that I'm not going to say. In fact, I I can almost guarantee you, if if you'll look at these verses, carefully and and devotedly, God will have something for you in there that I never saw and that I won't talk about, but it'll be for you. So you look at those. Let's pray again, and we'll get to the scripture. Father God, we are grateful for the day, grateful for these folks that have come. God, thank you for the time that we have to open your word and, and, and to find things, Father, that, that we may have skipped over or we may have missed or we just never did see. God, I thank you that every time we open your word, that there's something new for us. And the reason that's the case, Father, is because your word is active. It's alive. It, 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 is, it is continually revealing who Jesus is to us, Father, in every possible way, including what we find today. Father, help me not to mess this up but to be clear about it, to be focused about it, to be quick about it, God, so that you can do what you want to do with your word in the lives of your church. Father, we love you and we give you praise in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen and amen. And all the Lord's people said, amen. Amen. Joshua chapter 5. Pick up just a, a short story beginning in about verse 13. And here's what it says. When Joshua was by Jericho, now remember, let me give you just a little background. By the time we get to this story, they're, they're going into the promised land. Moses has died in the wilderness. He was not allowed to go into the promised land. Joshua has been affirmed as their leader, and they're headed into the promised land. There's going to be issues there. There are going to be struggles there. There are going to be problems there. The first one appears to be the city of Jericho. And that's what we read about in verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold. This is a, uh uh-oh, kind of behold. A man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And the man said to Joshua, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord, and now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. What an amazing story. Stuff in those verses that we might expect a little bit from other things that we wouldn't expect at all. And yet God takes these three verses and just packs them, chock full of stuff for us. I'm excited about it. Some of you should join me. Yeah. Now, I haven't done this in a while, but I'm going to get back to a good old Southern Baptist preacher outline. I've got three points today. They all start with the same letter. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Y'all had given up on me doing that, hadn't you? Yeah. Yeah, and now you're wanting to know what letter it starts with. Here's what they're going to it's going to start with the letter X. I totally made that up. No, it's not. No, it's not. You're saying X. What could X, X be? It's going to start with the letter O. So, for those of you that are Sesame Street fans, you should, you should know what the letter of the day is. It's O. And here's the first thing that I want you to see about these three verses it's what I'm going to call the ordeal. The ordeal. Now notice as this little story starts that Joshua has walked off by himself. (laughs) You know, sometimes a leader just needs to get away. And Joshua has walked off by himself. Now if he lived in southern Oklahoma where I've grown up, I would fully expect Joshua to be walking out across there with his hands in his pockets. I guess his robe had pockets. Doing what I would call kicking rocks. Because every once in a while, a man, a woman, just needs to go kick rocks. Right? I think he's out kicking rocks. Now, I've never kicked rocks in sandals, but i got to think that hurts a lot more than kicking rocks in boots like I wear all the time. But our friend Joshua was out kicking rocks. And I think the reason that he's out kicking rocks is because he's got a lot on his mind. He's got a load, a burden on him that none of us have ever experienced. Now, the curious thing about this ordeal, this burden of leadership that Joshua's feeling, the curious thing about it is if you go back to Joshua chapter 1, and again in Joshua chapter 3, God specifically promises Joshua that he's gonna be with him. Now, you would think that that would be sufficient, that that would be enough. It ought to be enough. It ought to be more than enough. But you've probably been in those situations that even though you are aware of the promise of God's presence, that you still felt the burden or the ordeal of what you're been in. Another very interesting thing in Joshua chapter 1, I think it's about verse 17, the people of Israel promised to be with Joshua, but it's really interesting how they word that. In Joshua chapter 1, I think, again, I think it's in verse 17, they, they say to Joshua, we're going we're to be with you just like we were with Moses. Now, if you know the story of the Exodus, that's not real helpful, right? Right? Those those bunch of, of Hebrew folk were hard to get along with. They were griping and bellyaching and complaining all the time. It's the first Southern Baptist church in the history of humanity out there. They're griping because they're hungry. They're griping because they're thirsty. They're griping about this and they're griping about that. You know, right? They're just always bellyaching, And then you got some guy that stands up and he's gonna take over and God sends snakes. And I'm gonna promise you, if God ever sends snakes into the situation I am, I give up because I do not do snakes. So we've got this long history, 40 years of these people of the nation of Israel being hard headed and stiff necked and difficult, right? There, there were times that God said to Moses, hey, Moses, I'm just gonna wipe them over and wipe them out and start over with you. Remember, that happened a couple of times. So when the people of Israel say to Joshua, well, we're going to be with you in the same way we were with Moses, that may be the reason that Joshua was out in the desert kicking rocks. There's an interesting lesson here for us. Did you notice that even though he should have had everything going his way, did you notice that while he was out there kicking rocks that he had his head down? Did you notice that? Now, he's got everything going his way, but he's got his head down. You said, Joe, how do you know he's got his head down? Well, the scripture, look at the scripture. It says that he looked up. So for the scripture to say that he looked up, he must have been looking down. And I promise you, if you've kicked rocks, you've always been looking down. And if you've never kicked rocks and you're looking for the rules of rock kicking, one of the, things, uh, one of the rules is you look down. Because you, you're going to fool around and kick something you ought not kicks. And so here's Joshua with his head down. Here's Joshua carrying this heavy load, what I'm going to call this heavy ordeal, And there's some lessons about leadership in these three verses that I don't want you to miss. One of those is that leadership is always lonely. Leadership brings with it this notion, this, this feeling of loneliness. And it's really odd, particularly in church life, particularly in, in, in the things that we do because we, we are always surrounded by people. When you're in church leadership, you're always surrounded by people. But I promise you that in the midst of the crowd, leaders often feel very lonely, very isolated because the burden the ordeal of leadership for some reason brings about this struggle with loneliness, with feeling isolated from the very people that you've been called to lead. And I think our friend Joshua out in the wilderness this evening that we're reading about is struggling with some loneliness. Now I'm gonna suggest to you, friend, that regardless of what you do in life or what your station in life is or where you are in life, that God has called you to be a leader. Maybe he has called you to be a leader in your home. Maybe he has called you to be a leader at your workplace. Maybe he has called you to be a leader among your friends or your school class. I promise you that if you are a follower of Jesus... That in some capacity, he has called you to be a leader. When when our students show up in in, in, in second service, I'm going to suggest to them that our students have a responsibility to be leaders at school. You see, because I I believe that as Christ followers, as we follow Christ, that we need to be leaders of people. That's what we find Joshua doing here. The second characteristic of biblical leadership, not only is there a loneliness that accompanies that, but here's the second thing. Leadership always brings a lot of work. A lot of work. It's just work. To be a leader. And sometimes, sometimes we get jealous of people that, that appear to be leading more people than we're leading or doing bigger things that we're doing. We want to be a little jealous of that. I'm going to say to you, friends, the more responsibility that God gives you in leadership, the more work that comes along with that. And here's the third thing about biblical leadership. Not only is there loneliness, not only is there a lot of work, but the third thing is that biblical leadership is lowly. Lowly, And here's what I mean by that. In the world, leadership elevates you to the top. In the scripture, leadership always takes you to the bottom. Leadership is lowly. Leadership in the Bible is not about position. Leadership in the Bible is about service. So when we lead biblically, we're going to be at the end of the crowd, the back of the crowd. When we lead biblically, we're going to be at the bottom, not the top. You say, well, Joe, if that be the case, if it's lonely and it's a lot of work and it's lonely, why would I want to be a leader? Boy, that's the question of the day, isn't it? Why would I want to be a leader? Man, that is, that is an incredibly important question because at the end of the day, it is easier not to lead. Stay with me. It is easier not to lead. It's never better, but it is easier. You see, it's hard to lead. It's getting harder to lead all the time. It's easier not to, but it's always better to be a leader. My friend Joshua, out in the twilight, kicking rocks in the wilderness, I think was struggling with the ordeal with the ordeal of leadership. He knew he knew that it would be better not to be in the role that, that he was in, or not, that, that it would be easier for him not to be in the role that was in, but it wouldn't be better. You see, people, people love a leader who leads like they want, but we tend to resist leaders that don't, that don't lead in the way that we want. And there's the ordeal. There's what our friend Joshua was going through. So there is the ordeal. Here's the second thing that I see in this passage of Scripture. It's what I'm going to call the order. The order. Did you notice as you think about what's happening? Remember that Moses is, is done and that God has, has appointed Joshua to lead the people of Israel, going to lead them into the promised land and lead them into all this conflict. Now, think about that with me for just a moment because when Joshua walks out there in the wilderness, in the twilight of that day, he is in command, he is in charge. There is nobody above him when he walks out. Out into the wilderness, but here's the thing that you you don't want to miss. As he engages this man, and we'll talk about who this man is in a minute. As he engages this man, no longer is he in command. No longer is he in charge. No longer is he the top dog. What Joshua discovers is that he is at best second. Because he has met the commander of the army of the Lord. He has met the captain of the fighting host. He has met... uh, Are you ready for this? And I'll prove to you in a minute. He has met Jesus. He has come face to face with what the theologians refer to as a Christophany. This is an appearance of Jesus before he is born in Bethlehem. And he, he... He shows up like that in the Old Testament. And Joshua runs square into him. And one of the things that that Joshua learns is that he is not in charge anymore. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. He is at best second in command. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you that second chair has some benefits. Uh, Back in, in... In May, when my boss, Dr. Hans Dilbeck, came and told me that he was leaving the state convention and going to work for Guidestone. Man, it just crushed my heart because I, I was his second. And the cool thing about being his second is I could deal with most things, but the things that I couldn't deal with or that I didn't want to deal with, he was in charge. I could take them to him. I loved having that, right? And now the rascal's left. He's gone. I will never forget. He said, I'm going to work for Guidestone and you're going to be the interim executive director. I said, no, I'm not. He said, oh, yeah, you are. I said, no, I'm not. See, I'm thinking he's leaving. He can't boss me around. No, I'm not going to be the interim executive. Yes, you are. No, Dr. Dillbeck, I am not. He said, you're going to because the Constitution says you are. And I remember thinking, I had government in high school and college both. I don't think that was in the Constitution. He was talking about the Constitution for the State Convention, and sure enough, somebody had slipped that in there. So I, so, now, so now I'm the interim executive director. I don't, I, don't have, I, don't, I don't have that person like I had to take the problems to. Joshua finds out that there's somebody in command that he can take his problems to. That's a good thing. To find out. That's a good thing to know that you're not the commander. You may be second, but you're not first. Second chair, you see, has some benefits. Now, Joshua finds this guy. It's interesting to me that that that, that he has his sword drawn, and Joshua walks up to him anyway. Now, n- n- notice Notice that when Joshua gets there and and engages this guy in conversation, Joshua's basic question was, whose side are you on? Right? Whose side are you on? Are you on our side or are you on the other guy's side? Are you on our adversary's side or are you on our side? Whose side are you on? And you know, sometimes the, the burden of leadership leads us to that question. Whose side are you on? If we're having struggles in the church or in our family or in our work or in our school, we, there's something about that burden of leadership and the, poten- the potential of conflict that we want to know who's on whose side. And the reality is sometimes people on the other side want to know who's on their side. So we want to we choose up sides. Man, we want to divvy it up and figure out whose side you're on and whose side you're on because somehow we've been convinced that even in the church, that if we have more people on our side than you got on your side, then we win. That's a horrible way, horrible way to, de- to, de- to determine success. So Joshua says, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? He's still struggling. He's still trying. He's still counting. He's still trying to decide who's got more people than the other. Listen to me. Listen to me. Numbers, numbers are a horrible way to determine success. Because you can have more people on your side and be dead wrong. Right? You can be on the side that's outnumbered the rest of them and be dead wrong. The only thing that numbers prove is you got more people. You see, success, victory is not determined by how many people you have. Victory is determined by how close you line up with what the word of God says. What are you doing compared to what the Bible says? And yet Joshua is still walking through this. He's still trying to figure this out. Now, this man, who I've already told you, is, is Jesus. It is a Christophany. Notice that he wasn't on anybody's side. Did you notice, did you notice what he said? Look, look, look at what the guy says in verse 14. And he said, the man says to Joshua, no, but I am. But I am. You know know what what the man just said, right? I'm, I'm God. I'm Jesus. I am the commander of the army of the Lord. He is the I am inviting Joshua to join him. He is the I am inviting us to join him. Now notice he's got his sword drawn. Notice he's not afraid to fight for what is right. Because the victory is the Lord's. When you're on the right side, which is the Bible side, when you're on the right side, which is the, which is the scriptural side, never doubt that the battle is won because the victory is the Lord's. You've just got to make sure that you're on his side that you're doing what the scripture says, and as you're on his side, and as you're being obedient to what the Bible says, friend, listen, the victory is the Lord's. Now the responsibility of the battle may fall to us, but the victory is the Lord's. We already know how this thing plays out, don't we? Yeah, we do. If you don't, you should flip over to the end of Revelation. There's an amazing ending to this story. It's all going to work out. God is going to win. Those on his side are going to share in the victory. It's already settled. Now, it may be a bit of a tussle getting there. But we know how it ends. And so Jesus, this man, this Christophany with his sword drawn, he's not afraid to fight. Invites Joshua to join him. I love that. It's not about, we not about Jesus getting on our side. Come on, who are we? It's about us being on his side. So there is the ordeal. There is the order. Here's the third thing. It is the orientation. And here's what I mean by that. This incident reoriented Joshua. It changed his perspective. Indeed, it changed his direction. There are three things, three things that I want to give you that, that reoriented Joshua's view. Here's the thing. The first thing is that, the, that Joshua's view was reoriented by the character of God in this little story, by the character of God. uh, I wish we we were just sitting around tables and we could just talk for a moment. Because one of the questions I would ask you at this this point in our conversation is, when when you think of Jesus, how do you see him? How do you see Jesus right now? If you you were just to begin to describe Jesus to me right now, how would you describe him? And some of you would say, well, uh, he's a shepherd. Yeah, and I would agree with you. And some of you would say that he was humble and he was meek. And I would agree with you, right? All of those, all of those biblical descriptions, but we, we tend to tilt toward some of them and not others. And what I'm going to tell you here, this, this reorientation of Joshua is, 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 is accomplished by the character of God. Here we have Jesus, not as a shepherd, not as lowly, not necessarily as meek, but as the captain of, Of the army, the commander of the army of the Lord. It's a a character shift. Joshua sees Jesus in a way that he's never seen him before. The second thing that reoriented Joshua was not only the character of of, of the man, the character of God, but secondly, the command. Not just the character, but the command. Now you got to think this. Joshua's out kicking rocks. He knows that they got to tackle the city of Jericho, and they got these big old walls, and it's going to be nigh on impossible. And you would think that as Joshua has this meeting with the commander of the army of the Lord, that the commander of the army of the Lord is going to lay out some battle plans. He's going to lay out the strategy, right? With that, 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 that would make sense to us. That would, that, that, would, that would be logical. But what we discover in the command of the Lord in this situation is anything but logical. Notice it's not about responsibility that he's giving to Joshua, but it is relationship that he's wanting with Joshua. He wants Joshua to know who he is in ways that he has never experienced him before. Did you notice that as as the commander of the army of the Lord, that Jesus doesn't talk about the war that's coming up, but the worship that needs to take place? Did you notice that it's not about strategies, but it's about sanctity? You see, Joshua is reoriented by the character of God, by the command of God. And then the third thing that reorients Joshua is his compliance. Joshua did what God said. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant?" And the commander of the Lord's army, there it is again, the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place that you are standing is holy. If you know the story of Moses, it sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Take your sandals off. Take your shoes off. Because this is holy ground. And because it is holy ground, everything changes. It's not about war, but it's about worship. It's not about responsibility, it's about relationship. It's not about strategies about sanctity. Joshua take off your shoes and worship because this is holy ground. Joshua Take off your shoes because this is holy ground. What made that place in the wilderness holy ground was the presence of God. What makes this holy ground is not the building Not the history, not even you, but it is the presence of God. Joshua, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. Friends, take off your shoes. For this is holy ground. I'm not sure you heard. Kick your shoes off because this is holy ground. This changes. in the presence of a holy God who does not consume us but invites us into his presence. A holy God that does not destroy us in the midst of our sin but who saves us. This is holy ground. a holy God who chooses to accept worship from sinful creatures like me. Take off your shoes. Kick off your boots. This is holy ground. Bow your heads, close your eyes, will you? Holy ground. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. It's one thing to take your shoes off. It's a whole other thing to worship. And I just want you to know that this altar is open. And some of you should make your way in humility to the front and just worship God. Just worship to put aside all of those things that hinder you. All of those struggles that have stopped you and just worship. I wonder who would lead the way in your bare feet or in your sock feet I wonder who would humble themselves a bit more and just come worship